Hi, my name is Alex Keon, and thank you for tuning in to Mentor Moments. I've personally been fortunate to have a great mentor in my life who has literally changed the trajectory of my career. However, I know that not every young person will have that same opportunity or experience. That's why I've created this podcast to give you rare access to executives and leaders who will share insightful advice to help you on your personal and professional growth journeys. This episode is sponsored by Alchemy Technology. Alchemy is an award-winning digital banking software company serving upwards of 160 financial institutions and empowering more than 10 million users to make the most of their financial futures. Learn more by visiting alchemy.com. This episode, we are joined by Carla Rosenberg. She is the Senior Vice President of Charity and Events Management at Sport5, a global sports and entertainment agency. In her role, Ms. Rosenberg provides philanthropic expertise to more than 250 athlete clients looking to build or enhance their charitable activities. She brings many years of experience in the sports industry, having previously worked at organizations such as the Texas Rangers, the Dallas Stars, and other agencies. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Alex. And I want to say congratulations to you for launching this podcast. I know it takes a lot of hard work. And you've been so professional about it. And um, just congrats for all the work you're doing with Young Leaders for Change. And uh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, thank <laughs> you so much for your kind words, Ms. Rosenberg, and for your time. We're really excited. And I want to get this started by first asking, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Oh, <laughs> I wanted to be a professional tennis player. I wanted to serve and volley at Wimbledon. I bet you weren't expecting that as an answer. (laughs) (laughs) And I assume you're still an avid tennis player, right? (laughs) Not as much, but I do love that sport very much. So that's really interesting. What is the journey then that led you to being the founder of a company? It's been a journey and it still is a journey. So the short version is I got my first internship um, at a company called World Team Tennis, Legion King. So imagine that as your first ever boss, right? And uh, that's when I realized, oh my goodness, I think I like working in sports and in business. Like I said, I wanted to be a professional tennis player. I didn't even think about careers outside of that. So once I got that taste of that internship experience, I realized I need to go back to school and get a graduate degree. So at least I can try to set myself up for um, the best possible position if this is the area of work I wanted to do. So I had to uh, go back um, to school and I got my MBA here at the University of Dallas. But while I was going to school, I also um, did internship. I worked at the, um, as an intern at the Texas Rangers Baseball Club and I did a season there and a season at the Dallas Stars Hockey Club. And then I got a full-time position at the Texas Rangers Baseball Club. And I had an incredible boss, his name is Jack Hogan. And, uh, was a terrific mentor to me, someone who I'm so grateful that I got to learn from straight away. And subsequently, after working at the Texas Rangers, I moved on to the Dallas Stars and I worked community relations um, role where I really found my area of interest. Um, I then became executive director of the Dallas Stars Foundation. And after seven seasons working in professional sports team, I decided to try the agency environment and then in 2012, I went rogue and for Matchpoint. And uh, now that you know my love of tennis, you know why the company was called Matchpoint, the only point that matters. But essentially, uh, what I did at Matchpoint, you know, work with professional athletes and help them with their charitable endeavors. So 
We help them set up their foundations. We help them do their charity events. Some athletes come to us already with their foundations or charities formed, and they're looking for programming or how to grow it and enhance it and find partners. So that essentially is what my day-to-day work is. And then in 2018, I was fortunate. We were officing actually the Lagadere. And Lagadere is a global sports marketing agency. They're based out of Paris in France. Um, and they acquired us. And we are now a part of that bigger group. Thanks to uh, the president of the company, Kern Egan, who is now my boss. And another person that I continue to learn from. He's a terrific leader and visionary. So that's the short version for you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. It is really incredible. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about Matchpoint because something that is clear was you created that company to marry your interests in sports and working in charities. And so did you ever have any reservations about that? Because I feel like sometimes people are hesitant to pursue their interests and make it into a career. So I'm going to use sport as an analogy to answer that question, if I may, because you know, when you're younger and you play all these different sports, and I know when I'll use myself as an example, and then I think it was around 12 or 13 when my parents said, you want to pick a sport? And I chose tennis, right? And um, why did I choose tennis? I chose tennis because I loved it. And I had some level of success, right? And success is all relative, but I was exceeding the most at that sport and I enjoyed it. And it was my favorite. So I think what happened with me in my career, once I started working in the event area and working with professional athletes uh, with their philanthropic pursuits, I realized that was the area that I was most passionate about, right? That was the area where I added the most value, where I had this instinct and this desire to learn more and be better at it. I found my lane, right, so to speak. And then I accelerated. And, you know, when I started Matchpoint, I wasn't able to define exactly what I did. I didn't, you know, I knew what I liked. I wasn't sure. And um, my younger brother, Jonathan, who um, helped me, uh, he was a big part of helping me launch Matchpoint. And he's, um, he's a great entrepreneur in his own right. And we've had many, many conversations. But I remember when we started, he said to me, you don't have to define it today you know, go ahead, take on some projects, take on some clients, do some work. It will help, it will materialize as you go. And he was 100% right. At the beginning, I was just trying to take on as much as I could and pay bills, right? And I didn't know um, a whole lot um, about what I really loved and where I really could add value. And the more I did, the more I kind of started gravitating to that area. And where I knew I was adding the most value And so that's kind of how I was able to create an area of interest and have a career out of it, which I'm thrilled. And, you know, it's so funny when I think about many uh, years ago and when we did goals when I was younger as a tennis player, my very first, I want to win Wimbledon and find a cure for a disease. And I always wanted to, you know, excel in at the highest level in sports but yet I wanted to be able to give back and do something good. And I'm, while I haven't won Wimbledon or, <laughs> or found a cure for a disease, I've been able to find a career that I'm able to uh, work within you know, the highest level of professional sports and be able to give back and do meaningful work. And um, that to me has been the best blessing and why I'm so passionate about what I get to do. 
Yeah, I can't imagine how fulfilling that must be, not just the line of work, but the fact that it is just such a perfect marriage of everything you're interested in. So congratulations on all of that. And now it's funny that you brought up goals because I do want to ask, you know, what is your process for setting goals? How has that changed since you wrote down your goals of Wimbledon and Gearing? Cancer? <laughs> Um, well, I'll tell you, I learned a lot from um, writing down those goals. And that is, again, and since it's, this, it's just ironic that, you know, this is the Mentor Moments podcast, I do, I, I reference a lot of people because they've all been amazing mentors to me. But my tennis coach, when I was a junior, Jack Newman, um, who's still very instrumental in my life today, when I was younger, we used to do goal setting. I was, you know, competitive tennis player, like I told you, and every time it rained and we couldn't get indoor tennis courts, we used to have to write down our goals. And I knew nothing about goals. I just said, I wanted to win Wimbledon, right? I didn't know. Maybe as I got older, I said, oh, and now I want to give back. I finally realized that. But he would say to me, how do you plan to do that? And that's when I learned the difference between performance versus outcome goals. And when I think about that, and I think about today, I've used that same process. It's translated into my professional career. You know, the outcome goal is that very aspirational, the dream, right? Like I said, I wanted to win Wimbledon, or maybe I want to execute an event at uh, the Super Bowl, right? But then there's the performance goals. What are all the steps that I can control to get there? And therefore, if that's my ultimate goal, I've got to really try and think through and break down all those, you know, steps to get there. And if my goal is so high, then I know if I fall short, might not be as bad. Maybe I'll get to execute an event at um, another top tier event, right? It might not be the Super Bowl, but at least that's the North Star. And that's very much how I approach things. I, I love how you broke down the difference between outcome and performance goals. That's not a distinction I've kind of heard, but that, that is a really simple way to think about it. That is great advice. Yeah. Um, you know, you at the end of the day, you really can't control the outcome. You know, but you can, um, there are things that you can do to set yourself up in the best possible position to have um, hopefully optimal success and that things go your way so that you can have that outcome. So since you mentioned events, I do want to ask a question about that because I know that there has to be so much that goes into planning one of those. How do you keep track of all the different moving parts in a project of that sort of scale? So what about the detail? <laughs> and I'm a list person. And um, I mentioned Jeff Kogan, my first boss um, at the Texas Rangers. He always used to do things in buckets. And so that was something I acquired from him, where you kind of have to break down things by buckets. And I do that with events. There are so many moving parts, to your point, And I break it all down in buckets so I can tackle each one, try and list as much detail as possible, and then go from there and execute upon it. So I use project uh, management tools, right, to do that now. Um, I still like to keep a notebook where I get to cross off when I accomplish something. There's something so fulfilling about that. But, um, you know, we have a process too. We basically, we hash it all out in terms of we break down the scope of work, we put it in manageable buckets, and uh, we divide and conquer, and then we regroup, and we share ideas and things we've learned and research and that you know we've done or strategies that we thought of or details that we might have missed in certain areas of the event. So I love the collaborative process because I think that helps us get to the end goal because there are so many moving parts and so much detail. Well, I love what you said about breaking into buckets because I'm just sure that really 
you know, no matter how big the event is, I'm sure that just makes it feel so much more manageable. Yeah, it's just breaking down. Simple, same thing like with the goals, right? To think about doing the big goal right out of the gate, it's so overwhelming. But if you can break it down into small pieces and kind of chip away at it, you've got to get closer to where you eventually want to end up. And just kind of reflecting over your whole career, what do you feel like is the most important lesson that you've learned from all the great mentors that you've had? Well, in the interest of time, I'll give you one answer because I'm sure there's many, but there's no substitution for hard work. Um, I learned that playing tennis and it's definitely the case in uh, what I do today. And I think everyone who knows me, uh, very driven and um, I try and prepare as best as possible. And on that point of mentors, you know, you've obviously spoken to the effect they've had on your life. And we obviously advocate for having great mentors. What's some advice you could give to young people that don't have a mentor or they're just searching for a new one? How can they find that sort of person? You know, I get asked that question a lot because for me, it's happened very organically in um, the workplace or in different environments. But for some people, that's not the case. And I understand that. So um, I had to really... I've always had to, you know, first when I'm going to ask that question, I have to think about it. And the key is, you know, you model your behavior or you try to, you learn from people who you think have great methods or do things in a way that impress you. And I think, you know, especially now during COVID, we're at lockdown. I think one of the things is, is, you know, do your research. Um, Are there people in the industry you want to get into or are there people you admire or look up to or respect? or appreciate either their career path or the way in which they do something and reach out to them and say, hey, do you have 15 minutes on your calendar? I'd love to um, learn more about what you do on a day-to-day or maybe you can offer me some advice as I'm navigating my career or I've hit a running block and I'm just so impressed by how you do X, Y, and Z. Do you think you could share some of your insights, et cetera, right? You've got to have the courage to reach out, I think. If you're not exposed to someone in your network that, you know, immediately that you can learn from. I've got many uh, messages, you know, through LinkedIn or through referrals from friends and they send emails. And especially now, while a lot of executives are, you know, locked down, they're not traveling as much, they're in front of their computer. When you do reach out, I think the key is how you position the message. One, two, recommend a video call so we can really connect and see each other, you know, face-to-face. I think that's so valuable. And thirdly, be persistent because, you know, a lot of executives there have overflowing inboxes, right? And sometimes they just miss it. And it's okay to follow back up. It shows the desire. I bet you'll get very few no's. And so what if you get a no, right? You just try again. That's probably they're not somebody you wanted to learn from anyway. There you go. So... When I say about being persistent, there's a difference between being persistent and annoying, all right? (laughs) So there's a fine line. But I really want to encourage people, yeah, identify those people that you admire and what is it about them that you respect or want to learn from and then be direct and ask for it. You you don't get what you want if you don't ask. These are people who are having some level of success that could really help you. And who knows, you develop a great rapport when you connect with them and The next thing you're on another call with them three months later and asking another question or they have a job opening or a job referral. And that's kind of how it'll work. Glad that you emphasize just trying, you know, because one thing that I've certainly learned over these past couple of years is just how willing people are to help. 
Um, that's something I never would have imagined, but you find oftentimes there's just people excited to give back. Absolutely. And so I do want to ask, though, you did mention that fine line between being persistent and being annoying. And I think that's something that young people can struggle with, at least always feeling like they're being annoying. So what would you say is the difference? How can we all do a better job of writing that line appropriately? What about the phrasing, right? And I think I mentioned that, how you position your message to the person. I think, as you say, people are willing to give back if you ask them in an appropriate way, or you show interest or that you've done your homework. When somebody reaches out to me and spells my name wrong, I know they haven't taken the time and effort to do their part. It's like first appearances, that introduction piece is so important, right? And that there's a call to action, a question, right? If you just leave it open-ended, we have no reason to write back to you. If it's just like, I just wanted to reach out because I was so impressed and I'd love it if you could find some time to meet with me. A lot of people wouldn't write back because it's really, there's no question to that, right? You've just kind of made a few statements. So if you position the email where it's, I love what you're doing. Do you have 15 minutes on your calendar that you could share with me um, some of the insights? Or I saw you did this event would love to hear how that came together. Do you have time in the next month to get together? I think it's encouraging someone to respond to you. Well, thanks for that actionable advice. I appreciate that. And I'm glad you emphasized doing your homework. And now I do want to just end this by asking if there's one person, book, or podcast that you would recommend that young people could really learn from, who or what would it be and why? Well, the podcast that I've listened to from the very beginning and I just adore him, is uh, Jay Shetty. I was following him when he was doing his YouTube videos. He now actually, I think, has the number one podcast. It's called On Purpose. He is, um, he was a monk for three years, and now he's in the modern world, married, lives in LA, and he just has a beautiful gift of communicating some really great lessons that you can use personally and professionally. And he's young, so you can, it's very relatable. And he's so positive. And he just has such a beautiful approach in a way about him. I'm just such a big fan. I am actually just started reading his book called um, Think Like a Monk. So I, I, I've just started, so I can't give any you know, advice whether it's good or bad, but I'm pretty sure. So that would be my recommendation. Well, thank you so much. I'll be sure to check that out. And thank you again for all your time, Ms. Rosenberg. Really appreciated it and loved having the opportunity to learn from you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And again, um, congrats. Like I said, you were so professional and um, I appreciate you reaching out and best of luck to you. Uh, Continue with all your great work that you're doing. Well, thank you so much. Hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Take care. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Mentor Moments. And I hope you'll join us on the next episode to continue your growth journey. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at My Mentor Moments.